Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And uh, if you're joining us online, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I, I want to encourage you as you just take a moment in your seat to maybe say something like this to the Lord. To say, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. I'm in a position and a posture of teachability. Father, open my mind, open my heart to receive your truth. Father, give me the courage through the Spirit to obey what your word, what your word tells me to obey. Father, may I be a doer of the word and not a passive hearer only. Jesus, have your way in my life. In your name I pray this. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bible this evening to Romans chapter 5. If you're watching at home, take a moment and maybe round up a Bible or an iPad or a phone, and let's open up the Scriptures, the life-changing Scriptures. Last week, we began a conversation around the exchange life, and we've been ramping up for this for some time here, and uh, last week, uh, Pastor Rod, he kicked it off, and he kicked it off in a big way. And just some things I want to remind you of that we learned last week from Pastor Rod, this, these elements and these items of exchange were, he talked about sin for righteousness and hostility for peace, condemnation for grace, hopelessness for hope. Out of Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1 and, and following there, Pastor Rod just kind of identified in the midst of that message these key elements of the exchanged life. And, and tonight we want to keep the conversation going. And, and in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verses 6 through 11, I want us just to read together this continuing thought on the exchanged life. Paul begins in verse 6 and he says, For you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, 
but we also rejoice in God through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, what a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. As I think about this, I think that notice that, that Paul identifies, he, he identifies four elements of our condition apart from Christ. And there in verse 6, he, he identifies a couple of those things. And the first one he talks about is us being powerless. The NLT translates it utterly helpless. And, and maybe you're a parent and, and you remember the time, maybe one of those early times when you picked up maybe your, your first child or, and you picked that baby up and you thought, man, this thing is helpless. It can't do anything, right? There, is that true? It can't do anything. I mean, it can do a couple things well, but there's a lot of things it can't do. I mean, it's, so, it's utterly helpless. And, and those of you in the room or those of you watching and, and you're not sure what we're talking about, when you have one of these things, it's going to register to you exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, you're going to remember years down the road. I remember Pastor Greg mentioning something about this baby being utterly helpless. And so Paul says, when we were utterly helpless. And, and then he uses another word, not just when we were utterly helpless, but he says, we were not only that, we, we were ungodly. And, and then it doesn't get much better from that. Then he says, uh, we were actually sinners. And then it gets really interesting when he says in verse, I think it's verse 10, you guys are enemies of the living God. So look at those four words. Those four words describe our condition apart from Jesus Christ. But I don't want to focus on those four words. I want to make sure we understand them, that we see them, that Paul, in the, uh, this brief portion of Romans, he kind of highlights them because he's going somewhere exciting. I want us to look in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Notice what Paul says there. He says that God's hope does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. But God has poured out, say that with me, he has poured out his love. He has, he has poured out his love. And so what we're going to look at uh, the rest of this message is how God has poured out his love. Now, our condition, apart from Christ, desperate, dark, but God, but Paul says that now that the Father is going to pour out his love, and that's what he's going to describe in the remaining portion of the scriptures that we just read. So, for example, in verse 6, Paul begins with this, while you were utterly helpless at just the right time, Jesus died at just the right time. Now, in the New Testament, there are two words for time. One is chronos, where we get our word chronology, the other is kairos, and this word kairos is the word that Paul uses here, and it's an opportune time. It is a, it's an appointed time. And so what Paul is saying is that the Father, in this moment of opportunity, at the right appointed time, he sends his Son, born of a virgin, into this world, and he dies for the helpless and the ungodly. And of course, that's us. And then Paul goes on in verse 7, and notice what he says. It's like he's thinking about this, and he's like, I need to connect to the reader. And he connects to the reader by this. He says something like this in verse 7. He said, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. He said, someone might die intentionally for a righteous person. And, and, and I think to some degree we would understand that. Wouldn't you say we can, we can understand that? It's like he's insinuating while there are some 
who would die for a righteous person, it's almost as if he is saying, who in the world would die for an unrighteous person? Chuck Swindoll picks this idea up in one of his commentaries, and he says, think about this. Think about how many of you would die for a Stalin or a Hitler. And we would answer that and say, well, absolutely not. I would never, I would never do that. But Swindoll argues that Jesus did do that. So as Paul works through this passage in, in 6 and 7 and then in 8, one of the great scriptures in the entire New Testament. In fact, how many of you uh, in the room, how many of you watching uh, on video, how many of you have actually memorized this verse? Okay, a couple of you have memorized this verse. It says this, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. It's a, now how many of now do you recognize the verse? You, you've heard that before, right? Romans, Romans 5, 8. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. It's in the scripture. You're like, I think he's making that one up. No, it's in there. It's in there. And so but I, as I was working through this this week, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I saw something in this scripture that was new and fresh. And as I dug a little deeper into the passage, I begin to understand that what Paul is using here is a present tense verb. Because I've always read the passage and I've thought about it as I've read it is that God demonstrated his love on the cross through Jesus Christ. And I've always understood that as a past love, a past event where he demonstrated and that was it. But that's not what Paul is saying. It is a present tense verb. It, it is indicative. And so what Paul is saying is that the father is still demonstrating his love to this day. That right now in this room, in the chair that you are setting in, if you're watching this online, we must understand that God is still loving us today as much as he did when he sent his son to die on that cross. He is demonstrating. He just didn't demonstrate and stop. He's always been demonstrating his love for us. We are the, the object of his love. We are the apple of his eye. And in this moment, he is continuing to demonstrate that love right here, right now. As you sit in that chair, God is crazy about you. He loves you. And Paul is pointing this out, this beautiful demonstration of love. Brennan Manning says it this way in the Ragamuffin Gospel. He says, God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because none of us are as we should be. He loves us as we are, not as we should be, because none of us are as we should be. Paul goes on and he moves down into verse 10. I want to spend just a moment there. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, for if, when we were God's enemies. How does that land on you? How does that feel? I was God's enemies? Oh, I like God. No, Paul says we were God's enemies. It's a very intense word. It's a word that means uh, intentional, serious hostility. It just doesn't mean we're not on the same page. It means, no, no, there is a hostile relationship. And so Paul says that, that in that hostile relationship, while we were enemies with God, notice what he says, we were reconciled. Say that with me, will you? We were reconciled. What a beautiful word to him 
through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? My goodness, how powerful is that? This word reconciled, uh, it, it's, it's really an interesting word. It's, a, it's the Greek word katalasso, and it comes from this verb, alasso, which means, are you sitting down? It means to change or to exchange. Katalasso, to change or to exchange. In the first century, it was used to exchange coins. It, it, also in the first century, it, it became a kind of a courtroom term. In other words, in that courtroom, it was a, a legal uh, reconciliation among two disputing parties. So Paul is saying, look, notice what he's saying. He says, he says, in the moment while we were enemies that Christ died for us and there is this reconciliation, there, there is this exchange of hostility and enmity. And this exchange now is formed and found in the person of Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about here is that you and I, we went from helpless, ungodly sinners who were enemies with the living God to best friends through Jesus. Friendship is the best way to describe what Paul is trying to say with this idea of reconciliation. James chapter 2, verse 23. Scripture says that Abraham believed it was credit to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. What a beautiful word. You want to know what the exchange looks like? The, the life looks like? You want to know, well, how would I describe the exchanged life and reconciliation? It is friendship with the Father. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Paul goes on to verse 11. Look at what he says there in verse 11. He says, not only this, not only this. He's like, there's a lot going on, and it's not only this, but wait. There is more. But not only this, but we also rejoice. Say that with me. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. There it is again. Reconciliation, it's the noun form of the verb that he used in verse 10. We have received this reconciliation. Paul brings us to what I think is the crux of the matter of the exchange life, and that is this, our reason to rejoice is a new relationship with the Father. He's talking about, but wait, I want to talk to you about this. Look at what he says. He says, we, we have this reason, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the key indicators of the exchange life is joy. The capacity to rejoice. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, on this specific passage, says this. It seems clear from this paragraph, Romans 5, 1 through 11, that the main mark of justified believers is joy. The main mark of justified believers is joy. In verse 2 of chapter 5, Paul says, rejoice in the hope of his glory. In verse 3 of chapter 5, Paul says, uh, rejoice in your suffering. It's been appointed and God's taking you somewhere in that suffering. In verse 11, Paul says, rejoice in God through Jesus Christ because you have been reconciled. Paul uses the same word in all three instances speaking of rejoice. It means to boast, to brag about, to glory in, or to rejoice. 
this is the reason for the joy. This is the reason for that we rejoice, is that we've been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. It's our reason. And Paul is so excited to share this with us. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I have found the deepest joy in some of the most darkest, desperate places. I've seen joy in, in cancer wards. I've seen joy as I've watched people pass out of this life into eternity. I've seen joy in men's rehab centers. Ed, you've been there. You preach there. I think you're in this picture. I think Ed's in the back of the picture. He preached at a men's rehab center in Kathmandu. I've been in that room where it was so loud I couldn't hear myself think. Rehab. I've seen joy in the deepest, darkest places of the earth. I've seen joy in a leper colony where you would think amidst the broken, the hurting, the outcast, the lonely, the ostracized, the marginalized, that room has just been filled with so much joy. I have found the deepest joy in some of the desperate, darkest places that I've ever been. Paul concludes that we are to rejoice we are to rejoice in the fact and in the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have been reconciled to him through the death of his son. But we often think, Pastor, I would be joyful if my life just improved a little bit. You think that way? I do. I'm like, hey, if things would just come together, man. If it would just happen a little different, if, if the money would come together, if, if the relationship would come together, if the kids would get it together, you know those kids that couldn't do anything early on, they start doing stuff later, right? If, 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 if people would just get their life together, I, I, I would be joyful. I think that sometimes. But that's not how the scripture calls us to think, is it? The scripture doesn't call us to think, once you get everything together, then you rejoice. Actually, the scripture teaches, once you begin to rejoice, maybe God will bring things together. But you've got to begin to rejoice. Reminds me of a story I, I read recently about a lady, about it. she was about, around 92 years old, and her husband had just passed. They had been married some 70 years. Upon his passing, she had to move into a a retirement center and so she showed up there at the retirement center and she was in the lobby waiting for things to come together and, and they were prep, prepping and getting her checked in and a couple after, hours after she arrived young lady came out said mrs. Jones your room is ready mrs. Jones said okay and so mrs. Jones at the age of 92 she she stood up and she grabbed her walker and she began to follow the young lady down the hall that was going to show her to her new room. As they were walking down the hall, the, the young lady began to kind of describe the room a little bit. She says, oh, Miss Jones, we have, we have curtains here, and it's this color. We have these, these basic items, you know, just basic stuff in the room, almost as if she didn't want Miss Jones to walk in that room and be disappointed with that room. But as they're making their way down the hallway, Mrs. Jones said, I love it. I love it, with enthusiasm. And the young lady was kind of caught off guard with Mrs. Jones' enthusiasm and said, now wait, Mrs. Jones, you, you haven't even seen the room yet. Why don't you wait till you see the room before you decide if you love it? Mrs. Jones said, 
that doesn't have anything to do with it. She says, joy is something that you choose ahead of time. I've already decided to love it. Joy is something you choose ahead of time. I've already decided to love it. You, you see, the enemy's work in the lives of the believers is often centered around doubt, uh, discouragement, and delay of God's, what we perceive as God's work in our life. Because the enemy wants us in this position like, hey, w w once your life comes together, then you're going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Once, once that happens, you'll be filled with the joy, and it's day after day after month after year, and all of a sudden we haven't experienced the joy of the Lord, even though it's one of the key indicators of the exchange life. What if you said, I'm going to love it? What if you said, I choose joy before I even see it? What if that was your approach to life? Corey Ten Boom was asked, how did her and her family survive those horrible days in a Nazi concentration camp? How did, they, how did they live through those difficult moments and all the discouragement and all of the darkness? And, and Corey Ten Boom simply replied that joy runs deeper than despair. What if it's true that one of the key indicators of the exchange life is joy, is joy? It seems to be Paul's focus as he begins the conversation in Romans chapter 5. Could it be that Paul is teaching us that to rejoice is a choice that's based upon the unchanging reality of the exchange life? Could that be what's going on? That, let me say that again. That, that, that to rejoice is a choice that is based upon the unchanging reality of the exchanged life. What if that's true? That our joy that our joy is not based on circumstances, but it's based upon the unchanging reality of the exchanged life. The prophet said it this way in Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. I love this passage. Now, it's going to take you a minute to find Habakkuk. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You're like, is that even in the scripture? Oh, it's there. It's tucked away in a safe place. You know, it's, it's like when you find it, you're like, oh, man, I just found a nugget of gold. Look at what the prophet says. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop has failed, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Now, just hold on, go back to that, Stuart, just for a second. Let's look at what's going on. Look, 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 even though, even though, even though. The, the prophet's in a little bit of a pickle, wouldn't you say? He, he, he's in a little bit of, of a time in his life where things aren't maybe what he thought they would be. But look at what he says in the next verse. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, yet. Say that with me, yet. Yet I will. Say it with me, yet I will. What a decision to make. What a decision that could change your life. Even though, and I know you have an even though. I know you have a couple even those. You may have a whole list of even those. Your even those may have even those. I know you have them. Life is about even 
those. What if your life was about, yet I will? What if your life was about that? You're like, well, how do you get that, Pastor? You just choose to go there. It's just a choice. It is hard as it seems. We've been told it's hard. We've been told we can't do it. The prophet says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You're like, well, that doesn't seem too hard. Oh, it's not hard. You just got to do it. It's not that difficult. You just got to choose it. You're like, yeah, but there's something going on here. There is something going on here. The prophet made a decision to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of the even those. Look at what he says. I will be joyful in the Lord, the God of my salvation. You want to change your life? Pray that prayer. You want to change your life? Quote that scripture. You want to change the direction of your attitude, your spirit, where you're going in life? You're too focused on the even those. You're not focused on the rejoice in the God of my salvation, even though. Look at what he says in verse 19. The sovereign Lord, my goodness, the sovereign Lord, not the haphazard Lord, not the haphazard God, the sovereign Lord, he is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a pig. No. No. As a deer, light on their feet, sure-footed, able to tread upon the heights. The depth of our joy is directly related to the depth of our understanding of the exchanged life. Let me say it again. Stuart, I think there's maybe a slide for this. Maybe that last slide. Here we go. You're going to leave with this. The depth of our joy is directly related to the depth of our understanding of the exchanged life. When you understand what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, when you understand that, there's a new joy that will emerge in your life. Amen? I just challenge you, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, be joyful always, for it's God's will for your life. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for those of us who are hearing your word, those of us who are hurting, who are lonely, who are discouraged, those of us who have a long list of even those. And Lord, it's life. Life will bring the even those. But Father, the reality of our life is that we can choose to rejoice in the midst of those things that are taking a toll on us. We don't have to be held captive by their power, by their purpose, by their presence. But Father, in the midst of it all, we can echo the words of the prophet. Say, even though yet I will rejoice. Even though yet we will rejoice. Father, your scriptures talk so much about joy. I pray that we begin to understand that one of the key characteristics of the exchange life is a person who rejoices, who rejoices in the Lord, in the good, the bad, the hard, the difficult. Father, that we are people who rejoice. Give us a newfound freedom with joy. Father, that we, we may be found faithful, giving you the glory in all that happens. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen and amen. Hey, will you do me a favor this week? 
Will you spend a little time in Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19? And just go there and just, just focus on that passage. If, if you read it like for seven straight days and just identified what he's talking about. And you might even write might some of your even those. How many of you have an even though right now? You're like, oh, man, yeah, I've got a few of those floating around. We all have them, right? But what if you took that even though, and I love the prophets like, it's just a reality, man, it's life, and said, you know what? Yet I will. Even though, yet I will rejoice. You know what the prophet Nehemiah 8.10 says? The joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.